We're going to talk sports. We always do. And we always will when it comes to me, yours truly. But damn it, I can't help it. Jada Pinkett Smith is on my mind. I'm not letting it go. I'm not letting it go. The Stephen A. Smith Show in the house. I got things on my mind. Let's roll. First things first, this is about truth-telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over the digital airwaves of YouTube like I love to do. As usual, we're here in my studio thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. First of all, let me take a moment to thank everybody because um, 33,000 subscribers, what can you say? 33, three, I'm sorry, 330,000 subscribers, 330,000 plus subscribers sitting here helping me out, showing me love on a continuous basis, averaging over 1,200 new subscribers per day. Can't thank y'all enough. These last six and a half months have been absolutely tremendous. I love doing the show more and more and more. The more love y'all show me, the more I keep coming. So thank you so much. I love my day job, but I love this just as much as well. So keep the love coming. Make sure you click on uh, the show and, and to find out about all of our new content, just click on the Stephen A. Smith show on YouTube and there you have it. By the way, while you're doing that, please don't forget to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. And as always, uh, we'll take some text messages and tweets and all of this other stuff from you. We're not taking calls over the next two weeks as I'm preparing to move into my new studio or so. But we'll be back with our live callers. Make no mistake about it. Because nobody's running. Nobody's running. Okay? Let me transition uh, to some sports and just get into some stuff. Again, as I promised, I'm going to get into Jada Pinkett Smith. Something needs to be said. And women everywhere, you need to listen to what I'm having to say because I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to be there for you, okay? I'm not just trying to be there for myself. I'm trying to be there for the men. I'm trying to be there for you, okay? Okay, I've, I've, I've joked on many times, I'm the anti-Oprah. In other words, it ain't just looking out for the women. It's looking out for men too. But in this particular instance, I'm looking out for everybody. I'm looking out for everybody. I'm looking out for women and men everywhere. And I promise you, I promise you, you listen to your boy Stephen A on this one. When I talk about that Jada Pinkett Smith, trust you me, you're going to thank me for what I got to say. You're going to thank me for what I got to say. But before I get into any of that, let me get into a couple of sports items that just are unavoidable to get into. A lot of people making a big deal because CP3, Chris Paul, uh, point guard extraordinaire, one of the top six or seven point guards in the history of basketball, as far as I'm concerned. That CP3, that Chris Paul, is a member of the Golden State Warriors. And I understand that when we look at him and we say, we look at his greatness as a 12-time All-Star. 
We look at his greatness as one of the quintessential purest point guards the game has ever seen. We look at the Golden State Warriors with their championship pedigree, with Steph Curry still there, with Klay Thompson still there, with, with Draymond Green still there. We see all of this. We see all of it. Okay? And we say, damn, Chris Paul being there, I mean, it can't, please, they're going to be just fine. I'm not saying they're not going to be a good team. I'm not saying they're not going to take on greatness. I'm not saying that he's not going to do his thing to some degree because he is an elite performer. I'm simply saying that I question whether or not that was the right and the ideal fit for this franchise. I said it when it happened, and I'm going to say it again. Now, in their preseason open against the Los Angeles Lakers, a game in which they won, um, he did some things. He did some things very, very productively. Major, major props to him. I'm happy for him. Chris Paul showed up, and he showed out. And as a result, that was a beautiful thing. Six points, five assists, four rebounds in just 13 minutes. Congratulations. Who cares? Chris Paul could do that in his sleep. He's that great. The issue is what kind of a fit is he going to be for the Golden State Warriors? I got a producer on this show. His name is Greg. Greg, good kid, good kid. Curly hair, I don't know about that. I don't know. He might need to get rid of that curly afro, but that's a different subject for another day. Looks better with his facial hair than he does without it. Get a, you know, you're young. Young whippersnapper, wet behind the ears, breath smelling like Similac. Brother knows his basketball, though. Uh, he gets a bit biased and a bit emotional when it comes to his warriors because they, you know, they pass gas. He calls it perfume. You know, he doesn't really, really accept and embrace who they are and what they are all about. His name is Greg Holzman, for those of you who don't know. Look him up. Look him up. I'm throwing his last name out there, too, because he's a good kid. I love him. But breath smelling like Similac on this issue. And this dude is going to sit up there and talk to me about they're going to be perfect and Chris Paul is going to be the key when they win the championship. And he's thinking like a lot of Golden State Warriors fans are thinking, because guess what? You got Chris Paul to spearhead the second unit. Gary, you know, Bob Myers ain't there any longer. He's going to be with me on NBA Countdown for ABC this season. Okay? But in his place is Mike Dunleavy Jr., who is his successor? Running basketball operations. The great Steve Kerr is still there. There's no doubt. One of the top five coaches in the history of basketball. And I know the man knows what he's doing. He said he hasn't decided what he's going to do. Here's my trepidation. Chris Paul is not one that you need to push the pace. He's 38 years of age. He turns 39 in May, if I remember correctly. Steph Curry turns 36, I believe. In March, Clay Thompson is going to be 34 in May. I might be wrong on those specific dates. I got to look that up. But I got to tell you something right now. I am concerned. I am concerned. Yes, yeah, Steph Curry, March 14th, he'll turn 36 years of age. I was right about that. Okay? I was right about that. I'm just wondering about it. And I'm saying to myself, what are you going to do? Clay Thompson, he turns 34, February 8th. And of course, CP3. We know this. He turns 39 years of age May 6th in his 19th season in the NBA. That brother don't need to be running up and down the court. He don't need to be pushing the ball up and down the court. And if you're the Golden State Warriors, you need to push the ball up the floor. You need to unleash that aerial assault that they can throw in your direction. 
You got Andrew Wiggins with Draymond, with Long, with Von Looney, and we know he can play. We know he's made a tremendous contribution. I thought they needed another big at the four to five spot to spell for Draymond Green because the combination of him and Looney are just too small. That's why the Lakers were able to beat him. And I'm looking at CP3, and yeah, you need the development and the growth to take place with Kaminga, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moody. I get it. I understand it. And having a floor general and a leader like Chris Paul cannot hurt. He is not a liability on any team. He is an asset. But I'm saying we all know he's been perpetually injured. And we know the pace of play that the Golden State Warriors usually implement could serve as an impediment to the success they hope to have. And I'm looking at CP3 and I'm like, I don't know how he gets through this season completely healthy. And that's what I mean about Greg, my producer, one of my producers who's wet behind the ears. He really, really thinking that CP3, who's been perpetually injured throughout his young 30s at the age of 39, suddenly going to be at a fa on a faster paced team and he going to get through the season without smear, meaning without being injured. Come on, stop. I'm just not sold, y'all. I'm just not sold. Let me tell you what we need to stop being sold on more than anything like that. I hope I'm wrong because I love Golden State and Steph Curry is my favorite player in the world to watch. And CP3 is one of the best people I know in the game of basketball. I love him. So I'm wishing him nothing but the best, but I just got my reservations about this. I'm done having reservations about the Los Angeles Dodgers. I'm done. I'm done. Swept. In the postseason, swept. After the season that you just had, the Dodgers, most dominant team over the last decade, won more regular season games than any other team in the league. They've got one ring to show for it. They had another 100-win season, had a first-round bye, had home field advantage, and lost to an Arizona Diamondbacks team that only had 84 wins and scored 160 fewer runs this season. They got swept! Broomsticks got out. Mookie, Bre Mookie, uh, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. You're talking about two brothers. One batted 307 in Betts, the other 331 in Freeman. Betts hit 39 home runs. Freeman hit 29 home runs. Betts had 107 RBIs. Freeman had 102 RBIs. These brothers were the stars and the anchor. And by the way, the two highest paid members of the Los Angeles Dodgers this year, they went a combined one for 21 in three games. One for 21. I mean, damn. Sixth highest payroll in, the, in, in Major League Baseball, $240 million. They lost to an Arizona Diamondbacks team whose payroll was less than half that at $121 million. They ranked 21st in Major League Baseball, and they smoked you. They swept you. You see, this is the kind of stuff that discourages teams from spending money. We, 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 we can save money and lose. What the hell we need to spend money to lose for? I mean, I got to admit to you, I'm worried about Dave Roberts. I'm worried about some people over there with the Dodgers. I don't know if folks going to keep their jobs. And don't get me started with Clayton Kershaw. It might be time for you to retire. Clayton Kershaw didn't even record two outs in game one. Not two outs. He got bounced out of there in the first damn inning. Maybe they keeping him out there in the California sunshine too much. Southern California sunshine. I mean, I mean, the, the, the heat can't get to you. The heat can't get to you. 
and it can drain you. And come playoff time, you just might not have it. But damn, year after year after year, come on, bro. You can do better than that. And by the way, Lance Lynn, Miller, combined to throw four and a third innings in the series. I mean, if I'm the Dodgers, I'm so pissed off, I wouldn't even be able to look at them. I wouldn't even be able to look at them. You can't nosedive like that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's about accountability, and you got to be able to step up and handle your business, and you got to do stuff that way. And if you're not going to do stuff that way, that's your damn problem. And it's just that simple. Everybody is about doing your job. See, we don't encourage folks that about that enough. Do your damn job first. Explore. Engage in adventure. Diversify. Elevate and increase and expand your portfolio. Fine. But the first order of business is to do your damn job. What is your job description? It didn't happen with the Dodgers. It just didn't happen. I ain't going to even spend more time talking about that, just looking at them disgust me. And I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I might have to go to a couple of postseason baseball games this year. And the Phillies and, and the Braves are still playing at the moment, and we get all of that and, you know, stuff like that. And But damn it, what if I wanted to go to L.A.? I mean, what if I wanted to go to L.A.? What if I, go to, what if I wanted to go to Chavez Ravine? I don't want to be in the desert. I don't want to see coyotes running in the street. I don't want to see mountain lions stand down wondering who they're going to try to snatch up. I don't want to see cactuses and dust and no water in sight. I want to see the Dodgers. And that's gone. Let me tell you what I think should be gone. The notion that Terrence Bud Crawford should move up three weight classes and 21 pounds to fight Canelo Alvarez for the super middleweight champion of the world. He's entirely too small. Entirely too small. Jamel Charlo already proved that. At 154, he went in the ring against Canelo, and he was entirely, entirely too small. That's what it was. Entirely too small. From the second round on, Canelo stalked him. Y'all are going to throw shade at Jamel Charlo. I'm not doing that. I thought he fought an exceptional defensive fight. I know he got dropped in the, second, in the seventh round. He got caught by that right. I get it. But that brother... Everybody looking at him, talking about he was running. He wasn't even throwing any punches. Yo, y'all, he swung early. And Canelo kept coming. Y'all remember that scene from Rocky? Remember that scene from Rocky, Rocky 2? When Carl Weathers was Apollo Creed. And his trainer was like, can I be honest? He said, I saw you beat this man within an inch of his life. And he kept coming. He wouldn't go away. He's wrong for us, baby. He's wrong. Let it go. Apollo couldn't do it. And lost fight number two. Trained him for Rocky three. And then got killed in Rocky four by Drago. Because he couldn't let it go. 
Bud Crawford needs to let it go. Too small. No doubt boxing skills are sublime. No doubt he's pound for pound one of the best on the planet Earth. Crawford is the real deal. The real deal. And him and Charlo is the fight I want to see. Him and Charlo is the right fight I want to see. But y'all going to stop holding it against Charlo. When you hit somebody and you know you can't hurt them and they keep coming, what the hell are you supposed to do? You can't run out the damn ring. So the best thing to do is to stick and move and run around the ring. What's he supposed to do? Stand in front of Canelo? Come on, man. Come on. You can't ask him to do that. Now, if he never threw any punches, that would be different. But if he hit the brother and it didn't affect him, and on top of it all, it antagonizes him and makes him stalk you even more. And on top of it all, he's a great fighter and a great boxer and a power puncher in both hands. You don't stand in front of that, man. You move. You stick, you move, you hug. That's what you do. You grab and hug. I don't give a damn if you got to fall on the campus or canvas on purpose and be Martin Lawrence in that episode when he fought Tommy the Hitman her. And he was on the ground and punching at his feet. I don't give a damn what you got to do. What you don't do is stand right in front of Canelo Alvarez. That is a mistake. Especially for a smaller dude moving up two weight classes. Now Crawford wants us to believe that he should move up three weight classes. I understand what this is about. It's about the money. I get it. It's about the money. And two brothers fight one another, as Charlo explained to me right here on this show before the fight, is entirely different than a black dude or even a white dude fighting a Mexican. Because them Mexicans travel, y'all. Como esta? Como esta? They travel. And they're going to go wherever Canelo says to come. And that's going to make you money on a global scale. And that's something that's beneficial for Charlo. And it would be beneficial for Crawford. So I get the money grab. Crawford is over 35 years of age. I respect it. I understand it. But there's a mega fight with Charlo. And that could be, there could be a sequel of a fight like that. Because I don't think there's any way in hell that Terrence Crawford is going to beat Charlo like he beat Errol Spence. Errol Spence. Now, he might beat Charlo because Crawford is so skilled. But I'm not sleeping on Charlo either. But I'm saying that's a mega fight. And unlike Errol Spence, who clearly, according to reports, was so weak and sitting in saunas and all of this other stuff two days before the fight. The bottom line is Charlo ain't going to have that problem. But I'm going to say something, and I know it's not popular, but damn it, it needs to be said, so I'm going to say it. I don't mean to come across in any way like I'm getting at Bud Crawford because I'm not. This ain't Roy Jones Jr. versus John Ruiz, though. First of all, John Ruiz wasn't an elite heavyweight. Just stop it. OK, let's get that out the way. It ain't like Roy Jones Jr. went in the ring against Mike Tyson or Lennox Lewis or in a Vander Holyfield in his prime or something like that. He went in the ring against John Ruiz. Just stop. OK. And then he came back down from that. And what happened to him? He got knocked out by Antonio Tarver. And I love Roy Jones Jr. I'm not throwing no shade on him. He's one of the greats of all time. 
But losing that weight, I think, played the role because I don't think he was ever himself once he came back down the light heavyweight from the heavyweight division. But getting knocked out by Tarver, he just got caught by a punch, got dropped. That was the fight where Tarver and him met at, 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 in the middle of the ring, facing off before the fight, getting the instructions from the judge. And, and the judge said, any questions? And Tarver said, I got a question. What's your excuse going to be tonight, Roy? What's your excuse going to be tonight? We all remember that. And then he caught him, knocked him out in the second round after Roy Jones Jr. and him had fought to a decision the first go-round. But we also saw Roy Jones Jr. after that get knocked out by Glenn Johnson. We saw how vicious that knockout was in Memphis, Tennessee. Hell, Elvis almost came out of his grave because he was scared at how Roy fell. Really hit his head to the back of the canvas. That was really what happened. Got hit in the back of the head and then hit his head to the canvas when he fell. Wasn't getting up, literally shaking on the ground. It's one of the scariest sights you've actually seen in boxing. But with all of that being said, as we sit here and we reflect, on the fight that was with Charlo and Canelo and the fight that could be with Crawford versus Canelo, that don't need to happen. And let me tell you something right now. Crawford needs to fight Charlo. Crawford needs to fight Charlo, not Errol Spence. Errol Spence shouldn't get back in the ring until next summer. Not before next summer. Not after the beating he took in that last fight. I don't care what the reason was. He took too much of a beating to get back in the ring against Crawford before next summer. That is a mistake. But Crawford versus Charlo? Ladies and gentlemen, that's a mega fight. Don't hold against Charlo what happened with Canelo. He dared to be great. Moved up two weight classes against an elite boxer puncher and one of the all-time greats in Saul Canelo Alvarez. That is not to be held against Charlo. Charlo deserves a mega fight against Terrence Crawford. And Terrence Crawford, you've got no business and I love you. You know I love you, bro. You got no business saying you done with Charlo. He ran from Canelo, all of that other stuff. You know he wouldn't run from you. Canelo a big boy, man. You see that neck? His neck is as wide as Broadway. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. We can't hold that against Charlo. You got to let you. That's the fight. Charlo is still that dude. He still hasn't lost. As a junior middleweight, or super welterweight, rather. He hasn't lost. So as I'm concerned, he's still undisputed welterweight champion of the world. He got the belts. Go get it. Charlo Crawford. And Crawford, if you handle Charlo the way that you handled Errol Spence, now we talking Canelo. But not before. But again, back to my point. It should not be a situation where we are talking about Crawford, the person we need to be calling out is Canelo Alvarez. Again, come on, stop. Come on, stop. I ain't trying to move bien, move bien. Everything's go. It's all good. But it is important to point this out. At the super mate, the super middleweight division is a guy harboring the nickname, harnessing the nickname, the Mexican monster. Named by Mike Tyson. His name is David Benavidez. What's up, Canelo? Why not that fight? 
Y'all trying to tell me seeing the greatness of David Benavidez with his speed, his boxing ability, his power, and how he has been craving for Canelo Alvarez at the super middleweight division. You trying to tell me that that man does not deserve a championship fight against Canelo Alvarez? Nah, y'all. Nah, that ain't right. I'm looking up his record right now. No, that's definitely not him. I'm just saying, it's, it's not fair. It really, really isn't. Benavidez is that dude. Benavidez is absolutely, positively sensational. And to me, that brother, super middleweight, champion, this dude, I don't know how we can really, really justify Canelo not fighting him. It ain't right, y'all. It's not right. And I'm just telling y'all right now, I'm just looking at that. You see me looking at my computer because I'm looking for the I'm looking for all the rankings. This damn thing spinning and all of this other stuff. But I'm just telling you right now, it's not right. And I'm just waiting to see. We're talking about David Benavidez. This dude is something special. And I don't know how we can justifiably look at him and not have this guy in the conversation. David Benavidez is the man who deserves a shot at Canelo Alvarez. And I'm going to leave it at that. Just tweet at Stephen A. Smith to send in your text messages, and I'm happy um, to engage in anything you want to talk about. So stick around. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Let me say, take a moment before I go to break to give a congratulations to two of my brothers. The one and only Shaquille O'Neal. And my little brother, Allen Iverson. In case y'all don't know, Reebok basketball is relaunching in early of 2025. And with their relaunch, they just announced that their new president, the new president of Reebok, is the one and only Shaquille O'Neal. And the new vice president of Reebok, is the one and only Allen Iverson. Now, Shaq, congratulations. Just continuing, just continuing to just show his brilliance as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, as a pitchman. Um, the list goes on and on. He's done it all. And he'll continue to do great, great things. But I want to take a moment to give a lot of love to my brother, Allen Iverson. He's been through a lot in life. And albeit some of it was self-inflicted, just know that when it happened, his heart was always in the right place. As somebody that covered him for the first 10 years of his career every single day, I'm here to tell you right now that Allen Iverson, most of the mistakes he made was because he was always looking out for somebody else. People want to talk about what he was doing and how he was living and stuff like that. Always trying to be aligned and in tune with people he loved. He's one of the best people I know. He's good people. He made mistakes. He'll be the first to admit it. He'll be the first to tell you. But in the end, some of the hardships 
that he's endured, albeit self-inflicted ones. It doesn't take away from the generational talent that he was and the generational figure he still is to this day. This brother was a warrior on the basketball court and he's been a warrior in life because no matter how many times you knock him down, this brother still gets up and he still survives to live another day. And to see him with such a title means the world to me personally. And the reason it does is because I personally believe he should have had a similar title with the Philadelphia 76ers. You see, you don't get somebody like Allen Iverson to bring him to the arena so he could sit up there, shake hands, kiss, kiss babies, and, 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 and mingle with the mascot. You ask this brother to be somebody that looks into the eyes of talent, that watches them perform and evaluates not just their skill set, but their heart. So he could tell you what kind of mentality they can contribute to your culture. Maybe he would have seen that Ben Simmons wasn't made for Philadelphia. Maybe he would have talked to James Harden. Long before things went awry there, even though James Harden's still in Philadelphia. When you got players that have been there and have done that and they got heart and they got guts and they understand the war that must be endured en route to them achieving the level of success they aspire to achieve. You need somebody with that eye. I've talked enough basketball with Allen Iverson to know that he has it. I know that if I had, if I was president of basketball operations for a franchise, I would at least have him as a consultant on basketball matters. Yo, bro, what you think about this player? I need you to go down and look at this player. I need you to watch this game tonight. Tell me what you see from him. Give that to me. Yeah, I would ask. Because chances are he'd know. So I'm really happy that Reebok did this with him. I'm real happy to see a VP title attached to Allen Iverson. I'm proud of you, little bro. But I will say this. Some advice from Stephen A to Allen Iverson. Let me get my social media team ready. Advice from Stephen A to Allen Iverson or to Allen Iverson from Stephen A. You need me to make a trip down south to see you, bro. Because you got to work on that wardrobe. Got to work on that wardrobe. You a VP now. You a VP now. You hear me, AI? You a VP. Now, you know your brother. You know your brother can teach you how to dress now. You know that, right? You know that, right? Now, I know Blue, a.k.a. Aaron McKee, our brother. I know that he's somewhere saying Stephen A got a lot of nerves because nobody looks sharper than Aaron McKee. That brother in the blue suits, he gave New Moon the blue suit. He made Mitt Romney look poor in the blue suit. You understand what I'm saying? Former presidential candidate. I mean, Aaron, Aaron McKee could wear some blue suits. But this is a different day, baby. You know, I mean, my, my, my wardrobe is upgraded significantly, dare I say. And I think that uh, Allen Iverson, free of charge, my brother. Just call me. I mean, we talk at least twice a week, but I'm just telling the world, you know, you need to call me so I can take you out and upgrade your wardrobe. Remember that time in Orlando? 
when y'all were in the playoffs against Chuck Dealey's Orlando Magic with Penny Hardaway and those boys. And you remember you came in the, the game with that black pinstripe suit. You had the do-rag on, but who cares? You had the black pinstripe suit on. I mean, you were looking sharp. And you remember how I went crazy, how proud I was of you, bro? Remember that, 1999? Remember that? Allen Iverson. You are VP now. You are VP now. We need to upgrade that wardrobe. Your big brother, Stephen A., you know, volunteering. Come take you out. Help you out. I mean, after all, I am there for the people I love. More to Stephen A. Smith show. Jada Pinkett Smith, to be exact. In a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith Show, everybody. As always, thank you for joining the show. I'm coming at you live from uh, my home studios over the digital airwaves of YouTube. I'm coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, as I love to do at the very, very least. In the near future, I'll probably be doing a little bit more than that. Always appreciating the love, the subscribers, Keep growing and growing and growing by an, out, by an amount of over 1,200 a day, I believe. It's somewhere around that. Can't happen without y'all. So I really, really appreciate the love and the support. Thank you so much. Please keep it coming. Um, let me transition. Because Jada Pinkett Smith is making news. And she's making news because she's out on the circuit, media circuit, promoting her new book, Worthy. That's the title of a new book. We'll talk about that title a little bit later. Worthy. Uh, It's coming out October 17th. And of course, in it, she's dropping a few bombshells, of course. Uh, Former Red Table Talk host reveals that she and Will Smith have been living completely separate lives since 2016, that's over seven years ago. And at this moment, the two of them are still legally married, but are no longer romantically together and haven't been for a very, very long time. Uh, On a relationship's demise, she says, why it fractured, that's a lot of things. By the time we got to 2016, we were just exhausted with trying. I think we were both kind of just still stuck in our fantasy of what we thought the other person should be. But they didn't get divorced um, because she said, I made a promise that there would never be a reason for us to get a divorce when they first got married. You know, they've been married since 1997. She said, we will work through whatever. I just haven't been able to break that promise. Of course, knowing that her husband slapped the living shit out of Chris Rock on national television Global television, because the Oscars were watched everywhere. Um, She had to bring up Chris Rock, of course. And instead, did we hear an apology? Did we hear anything? No, we haven't heard that. What we heard was that she originally thought Will slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars was a skit. That it wasn't real. She didn't know it was real when she saw Chris Rock's face do damn near 180. When she saw her man's 
imprints on his on his left jaw. She she thought it was a skit. When she heard that loud ass slap and the audience be aghast. Oh, no, 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 no. She thought it was a skit. I was like, there's no way that Will hit him. It wasn't until Will started to walk back to his chair that I even realized it wasn't a skit. And of course, last but not least, she had to drop dime, as they say, on Chris Rock, claiming he asked her out for a date. He asked her out on a date, explaining, I think every summer all the reports would come out that me and Will were getting a divorce in this particular summer. Chris, he thought that we were getting a divorce. So he called me and basically he was like, I'd love to take you out. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, aren't you and Will getting a divorce? I was like, no, Chris, those are just rumors. He was appalled and he profusely apologized. And that was that. Um, I'm qualified to have this conversation. I did write a memoir. Straight shooter. A memoir of second chances and first takes. New York Times bestseller. By the way, once you're a New York Times bestseller, you are one forever. That is the creme de la creme of being an author. And I am a New York Times bestseller. So I kind of understand. But that's not the subject that I'm at right now. You see, I have to confess to you that being a Christian, loving God, certainly not fully enmeshed in spirituality the way that I should be. I'm a spiritual individual. I pray every morning. I pray every night. I know there's a higher being. That there's a heavenly father watching over me. But let's just say I'm trying to get to where he wants me to go. I'm just not there yet. But when it comes to forgiveness, I'm usually that dude. People cross me, don't even have to apologize. They just can come up to me and say, hey, man, can we just squash this? Let bygones be bygones. I'm good, man. Peace is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Ain't no reason to have all this animus, animosity towards everybody and all this other stuff. Really no need for it. But I'm going to say this. It's pretty hard for me to give forgive Will Smith. It's not my place. My forgiveness doesn't matter, as does most of ours. Here's what I mean. And if Will Smith is listening, I hope he hears me when I say this. Will Smith, we know you're, you're a good brother. Your body of work speaks for itself, not just as an actor, an artist, etc., but as a humanitarian. Your heart's in the right place. We know that. And to engage in condemnation about Will Smith as a person into perpetuity would be wrong and cruel. But what I think you have to respect, Will Smith, is that it's pretty hard for any black man, any black person, but especially any black man. And I'm not saying that white folks shouldn't be appalled either. Like Jim Carrey spoke out against them along with various others. And I agree with Jim Carrey. I might've had him arrested. I mean, I may not, I wouldn't have had him arrested. I would have tried to whip his ass, but somebody else, um, I can understand how they would have wanted to have him arrested. They definitely would have sued him for hundreds of millions of dollars. I get that. Me personally, I would have tried to handle it differently. Uh, just in terms of an initial instantaneous reaction. But I would say this, Will Smith, you slapped a black man on national television. 
a man that's 50, 60 pounds lighter than you. I don't believe you would have done that to 50 Cent. I don't believe you would have done that to Michael J. White. I don't believe you would have done that to Snoop Dogg. I don't believe you would have done that to Dwayne Rock Johnson. And I don't believe you would have done it to anyone white. I don't believe it. You did it to him. And let's analyze for a second the damage that Will Smith did to himself and to his name. How about the fact that Will Packer was the first black man to produce the Oscars, the Academy Awards? And that was the moment we all walked away with. As tremendous of a job as he did, you stole that moment from him. You stole that moment from him. How about you stole it or you compromised the great Antoine Fuqua? He did direct and produce Emancipation. I believe we'd have been back up on that stage celebrating Will Smith potentially winning back-to-back Oscars for his performance in Emancipation because he was tremendous in that, but we couldn't celebrate him because fools in Hollywood stand up and gave, stood up and gave him a standing ovation when he finally was rewarded with the Oscars minutes after slapping Chris Rock on national television. And to sit up there and say you reached out to Chris Rock and when he's ready to talk, come on, bro. It requires more due diligence than that. It really, really does. But having said all of that, let me tell y'all what Will Smith does not deserve. He does not deserve what Jada Pinkett Smith has done to him. Now, I know people very, very close to Jada Pinkett Pinkett Smith. And I am not going to utter a disrespectful word about her. That's not where I'm going. It's deeper than that. There are a few questions that Jada Pinkett Smith deserves to be asked to her. Where's your compassion? Where's your decency? Where is your respect for a man you still acknowledge is your husband? Where is the respect for a man you walked down the aisle with and pledged your life to in 1997? For better or worse, through rich, through poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. It wasn't just talking about staying married. It talked about honoring those vows, at least to some degree. Where's all that? Stephen A., what the hell are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? Well, let us count the ways. Jada Pinkett Smith. What's the dude's name? August? What, what, what the hell is his name? I don't know who he is. I know he was the front, friend of your son. Who's 20 years, 20, 21 years younger than you. What you do is your business. Any women out there that wants to be a cougar. With a dude of legal age, that is your business. But the operative words are your business. Did you have to go 
and tell everybody. Go ahead and do it. Why everybody had to know? Why? Why did everybody have to know? You didn't tell them what you did when you were doing it. You didn't give them those details. Wasn't no porn movie. Wasn't no X-rated movie. It was nothing. Why? Because it's none of our business. So why talk about it? Keep it to yourself. And you keep it to yourself, not just because it's yourself, but because it's a man who loves you, who married you. He deserved that. Seriously, he deserved that. Somebody got to say it to Jada, plain and simple. Go to the Torah, go to the Bible, go to the Holy Quran, pick whatever you want. Let's talk about the role of a wife. At least from the perspective of just sparing him. I'm not getting in the right or wrong, it's none of my business. I don't know about them, I don't want to know. But I know that it is uncomfortable and grotesquely unfair to emasculate your husband Publicly. Publicly. He's Will Smith. How much smaller do you want to make him? How much? He deserved that? Will Smith, I'm not disrespecting your wife. Jada Pinkett, I'm not disrespecting you. I swear to you, I'm not. I'm just asking a question because you let us into your business. Why? Why? Will Smith is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I look and I looked up this credit. Let me tell you something right now, because Jada Pinkett Smith, I got a problem with you in this regard. You don't appreciate yourself enough. Madagascar, one, two and three. By the way, you were in that movies were those movies with Chris Rock, by the way. Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions. You were great in collateral. Loved you in the inkwell. Oh, girl's trip was off the chain. Oh, it's off the chain. I love that movie. You, Latifah. Oh, my Lord. And Regina Hall, I just, that's a soft spot for that woman. It's a soft spot for that woman. I love me some Regina Hall and her beautiful self. I mean, come on. I'm just looking at it right now and I'm just saying to myself, what's up? Help me out. Help me understand. How could you do this? I'm just wondering. Let me not forget Tiffany Haddish, by the way. I apologize, Tiffany. Keep doing your thing, girl. You make me more and more proud every day. And by the way, when I met you years ago, I'm sorry if I was a bit, you know, distance or whatever, but I was focused on fatherhood. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, I had to have some stuff to deal with, but I know you're a wonderful actress and comedian, and I wish you nothing but the best, but I digress. Jada, what's it going to take? You went on red table talk talking about an entanglement. Why? If I remember correctly, you once said that you, you, you didn't enjoy making love to your husband anymore. Why? Why? If you're getting your groove on with somebody else, 
and you're fulfilled, why worry about what he's not doing? If you have been separated for seven years, why talk about what you think or what he did do? You were separated, right? Why? Why? He's Will Smith. By the way, Will, I just finished watching Focus the other day. Love that movie again with you and Margot Robbie. I love that movie. I can't even tell you how many times I watched Hitch. Because Eva Mendez, Lord have mercy. Oh, my God, I'm just trying not to get distracted. I'm just trying not to get distracted. I'm just looking at a whole bunch of stuff. This is Will Smith. I, Robot. I've seen it about 20 times. Bad Boys, one, two, and three. Loved one and two, a little bit more than three, but loved all three of them, but more one and two, especially. This is a superstar. An iconic figure in Hollywood. A box office attraction. But you ain't no slouch, Jada. You can act. You're gifted. You're intelligent. You're smart. We know what you bring to the table. You were fabulous in Girls Trip. My favorite scene was when you and Tiff were going up against the other sorority girls and jamming the way y'all were jamming in the club. Go ahead, girl. We got love for you. At least we once did. Because as a man, ladies, Let Stephen A. break it down to you. I know I'm not married and all this other stuff. It's because I don't want to be yet, damn it. I don't want to be yet. I'm getting there. One day. Maybe sooner than later. Maybe not. Don't know. We'll see. But women ain't no problem. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Stop worrying about what other people's status is and listen to wisdom when it's being dropped on you. You cannot emasculate your man and think things are going to work out. Not only are they gonna, not going to work out with him, but if you do it publicly, it's going to send a message to every man, that's what she would do to me. Why would you do that? You want to mess with some dude that's your son's friend, as trifling as that may seem in people's eyes, that's your damn business. You want to break up with your husband and all of this stuff, that's your business. But this public emasculation needs to stop. Jada, all you're doing is elevating the level of vitriol coming your way because it don't matter what you say. There's nothing, there's nothing you can say to a man to justify what you have done to Will Smith. Nothing. Now, Will will come to your defense as he should. He's your husband and he loves you dearly. And I don't, it's not for me to judge anything about y'all life, y'all private life, but I damn sure could judge him for slapping Chris Rock. 
I damn sure could say he lucky he wasn't just roaming the streets after that ordeal transpired. Because I'm here to tell you right now, there was brothers everywhere that wanted to get their hands on Will because it was so disrespectful. You wouldn't have done that to Ricky Gervais. You wouldn't have done that to Bill Maher. You wouldn't have done that to a lot of these cats. We know it. You know better. But even then, we can't help but rewind the clock to the greatness that Will Smith has put on display for decades and the contribution he has made to our community with his greatness in Hollywood. I met Will Smith when the movie Concussions was coming out. It's the only time I ever interviewed him. It was an honor. And I'm thankful for all that he has done. I'm not throwing any shade or disrespect on him whatsoever. But he was wrong to do what he did to Chris Rock, period. And you shouldn't rest. You shouldn't have a sleepless night until you get face to face with that man and apologize to him. Now, Chris Rock doesn't tell me everything. I am personal friends with Chris Rock. And I'm telling you, he ain't never told me Will Smith did that. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know because I ain't asked. But he was wrong. And if there was ever a moment in time where Will Smith deserved his ass kicked, it was that night. But having said that, you automatically transition to a compassionate prose when it comes to Jada Pinkett Smith, because what she has done to him, it's exceeded cruelty. Somebody got to say it. I mean, damn. Come on, Jada. This is wrong. You can't do this. You can't treat that man like that. It's none of our business. You screwing somebody, that's your business. Your husband ain't getting, his, ain't getting it done for you, that's your business. He was somebody else, you were somebody else, that's your business. You ain't got to be like that. Especially while you still married to him. Get a divorce, give up the money. Got a prenup? Don't take anything from him. You got skills. You got a career. It ain't his. But how much do you need? Anything to get this to stop. Every time I see Jada Pinkett Smith talk about Will Smith, I cringe. And I have nightmares for any and every single man out there who once had a loving woman they pledged their, wife, their life to only to turn around and to watch them talk about you in a fashion that can only shrivel you to this. We kings. We kings. We ain't here to be treated like that. You're queens and you shouldn't be treated like that either. And I get that. And there's a responsibility that comes along with marriage and marital vows. And I understand. But even when they're not honored, even when they fall apart, that's supposed to be for you to handle privately. Tell me anywhere, biblically, scripture wise, in any scripture where it encourages you to publicize your personal business for profit. When it negatively affects. Your spouse. As my man Joe Madison says, I'm going to put it where the goats can get it. Jada Pinkett Smith, that's fucked up.
Seriously. Seriously. You should stop. Because every time you do that, it instills a level of fear in men that makes them think, what if my woman does that? What if I get married and my wife turns on me and she does that? I've watched Red Table Talk on many occasions for years. You've empowered women. You've inspired women. You've talked about deep subjects that were, contrib that were a contributing force to women that helped make them better and make us better as men because it gave us a greater understanding of what you women go through. You're throwing all of that away because all we see now is a woman who seems hell-bent on sabotaging, excoriating, and emasculating her man while she's making money off of it. Keep it up, and some people are going to sit up there and say, you ain't staying with him because you don't want to get divorced because of a promise. You stand with him because as long as your last name is Smith, as in Mrs. Will Smith, that's how you get paid. I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm saying that's the perception. And you can't get mad at perceptions at this moment in time. When you allow the perceptions to be put out there about Will Smith. A lot of us stop being a fan of Will Smith, at least momentarily because of what he did. But we'll get over it because he's too phenomenal and too great and we love him. We just hate what he did. But that was a one-time incident with him. You've been doing this to him for years. Come on, Jada. Come on. More to Stephen A. Smith show. Back at you in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show Coming at you from my home studio Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday Over the digital airwaves of YouTube um, Let's get right to the tweets that were sent to me People having some questions before I get on out of here uh, At Big Baby Jonathan He writes, favorite moment in your career Of all time I've had a few but the favorite moment of my career is game six of the NBA finals in 1998 when Michael Jordan stole the ball from behind from Carl Malone. We knew he wasn't going to give up the ball and he dribbled it down the court and ultimately found himself faced up against Byron Russell. And we were standing in Utah in the press box and you're supposed to be neutral and objective. You're not supposed to cheer. And we were like, yo, okay, oh my goodness. And everybody was on their feet and we saw Jordan and Jordan grabbed it, stutter step, went to the right, pushed off a little bit, crossed over Byron Russell, pulled up for the J, switched it and posed. We went like this. Oh, 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 that's how we won the press box. It was insane. And I was standing next to my buddy, Marty McNeil, writing for the Sacramento Bee, who passed away a couple of years ago. God rest his wonderful soul. My brother, I loved him dearly. Good dude. Great reporter. 
Um, but we were standing next to each other. I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. Allen Iverson dropping 48 against the Lakers in game one of the NBA Finals in 2001 was up there. Uh, him going back and forth with Vince Carter in that semifinal series in Toronto where he dropped 50 one night and Vince would drop 50 another. That was another moment. And before any of that, I was covering Temple basketball and Temple beat fifth-ranked UMass with, 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 with coached by John Calipari. You know what I'm saying? Lou Rowe was playing. Mike Williams was playing. Marcus Camby was playing. People like that. And they were jumping over the seats and, and storming the court when the Temple Owls had um beat and upset John Cheney's Temple Owls that beat their upset UMass. So those are some of my favorite moments. Let's go to the next one here. Let's go to at CTRL Dub. Ben is his name. He said, what is the biggest animal you could take down in a fight? Land animal, even terrain, quarter mile, wild field. Hell with that question. I ain't think about taking down no damn animal. I'm trying to run in a different direction. I don't know who's a wild animal, who's not. Why the hell would I want to fight an animal for? Hell no. See, that's some white boy stuff right there, just so you know. It's not a, it's not an insult. It's courage. I, I appreciate y'all. But that's some white boy stuff. The brothers ain't thinking about fighting a wild animal, okay? Just so you know. Let's go to the next one. At Chicken Leg John. He writes, Stephen A., what is your take on the tush push slash brotherly shove? Do people need to quit complaining or do you really think they should outlaw it next year because it is automatic for one team? I think it should be outlawed. I think it should be outlawed, um, um, Chicken Leg John, because you got to remember that the NFL prides itself on safety, particularly in this day and age. And when bodies are being shoved and pushed into one another and you're stockpiling one another and stuff like that, that's not necessarily a football play. It should be outlawed, and I think it will be outlawed after this season. Another one writes, um, at B-O-R-I-C-U-A Baruqua Boss 76 writes, your top three cities you enjoy visiting the most. Number one, Miami. Number two, L.A. And number three, only in warm weather, Toronto. I met a woman in Toronto in 1998. She was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. It is 25 years later, and I've still never seen a woman. I've never laid eyes on a woman that beautiful. She was a bartender. I've never laid an eyes on a woman that gorgeous. We see people in the movies. We see, you know, the Halle Berry's of the world, the Beyonce's of the world. We, we see stuff like that. Jennifer Lopez is gorgeous as all get out. And, you know, and then you got uh, Kim Kardashian. And, you know, you know how I feel about her and, and, and all of that stuff. I have never seen a woman more beautiful in terms of laying eyes on a woman. I've never seen a woman more beautiful than this woman that I met in 1998. Never saw again. I just had a ginger ale at the bar, ate a cheeseburger, left. I've never seen her again. Um, she was the bartender at the bar. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. That was 25 years ago. And I still remember. So that should tell you how gorgeous she was. Um, Jamie Thiessen, T-H-I-S-S-E-N, writes, Do you trust Brock Purdy in the playoffs? Why not? The man hasn't lost a regular season game he started. He got them to the AFC to the NFC championship game. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, who knows what would have happened against the Philadelphia Eagles? We won't know 
That's why that's really the matchup we should all be looking forward to. The Philadelphia Eagles versus the San Francisco 49ers. Because the San Francisco 49ers last year lost all four quarterbacks in a season. And by losing all four quarterbacks, you know it's bad when Christian McCaffrey had to line up behind center in the last two and a half quarters of an NFC championship game, a birth to the Super Bowl at stake, and you knew the opposing team could not throw a pass because they did not have a quarterback. I mean, what do you say? That's where I'm at with it. I'm sorry. Before I get on out of here, major props uh, to the one and only queen of hip hop. So the one and only uh, Miss Mary J. Blige. Uh, first of all, I love her work on, on power, power book ghost. She's sensational. Her and method man, my man, I'm so proud of him. He's doing a phenomenal job. And, uh, you know, Tyreek and his boy and all of that stuff. I mean, it's special. Michael's his name in real life. I mean, there's some special brothers and, and Mary J. Blige is sensational. She really is. I love her daughter in the show too. And I love Love, love, I got to make sure I got everybody's name right because I don't want to butcher anybody's name and I don't want to mess up, okay? Um, because let me tell you something right now. I love all of these, um, all of them, the entire staff, okay? I want to make sure I got all their names right because I'm looking at here, all right? Diana Tahara. Her name is Latoya in real life. Love her. Joseph Escora is my man. Got mad love for him. And I love Power Book Force, too. He's doing a fantastic job. Um, Natari, you know I know all about her. I had a pleasure of uh, meeting her. And when they took me for a tour and I was doing something for them. Um, Shiani plays Brayden, along with Michael Rainey Jr. plays Tyreek. Did both of those brothers' podcasts. My favorite dude on the show is Woody. Woody McClain that plays Kane. Love him, but I love Tyreek too. What am I talking about? But all of them, Paige Heard, uh, is a difference. It's an upgrade from the Oval to this, okay? This ain't the Oval, all right? This is this. is this. Even though I think the Oval's got a lot of good actors, it's just that, you know, you know, the writing might inhibit them or whatever, but that's a different subject for another day. But Mary J. Blige is doing an outstanding job. Method Man is doing an outstanding job. Mecca, Daniel, Sanjata, I mean, Sanjata, I, I wish they hadn't killed him, but I love Kane and I love Effie. Alex Laprie, oh my goodness. She's the one. She's big time. And the new villain, Noma. Oh, Caroline. Uh, oh, Lord, when she cut off the hands, when she wanted that ring back, she's the real deal. But I love their cast. I really, really do. And give them a lot of props and a lot of love and the whole bit. But Mary J. Blige, Mary J. Blige I just wanted to take a moment to really, really give her her props because, um, she recently partnered with PepsiCo to ease the economic burden of obtaining a higher education uh, for women. One woman enrolled as a sophomore at the HBCU Hampton University. She was studying business administration, marketing, arts, finance, or creative design. They say this, one woman enrolled as a sophomore at Hampton, whether it's business administration, marketing, arts, finance, or creative design, will win the strength of a woman scholarship. In the amount of $30,000, the scholarship is named after Mary's 13th studio album of the same name. She released the project in April 2017. In 2017, she reportedly told Big Issue that her rebelliousness as a teen messed up her education. And so she wanted to give back and make sure others didn't do the same. But hats off to Mary J. Blige for looking out and making a difference and doing the things that she's capable of doing. We all know how brilliant she is as a musician, as an artist. But to see her acting in um, Power, Power, you know, Power Book uh, Ghost, 
I love that show. I love all of them, but that's my favorite power book. That is. And that's saying a lot because I love Tommy with force as well. Anyway, I just want to take a moment to give props to Mary J. Blige. I got to get on out of here, but I'll be back in a couple of days. Same bad time, same bad channel. Appreciate you tuning in to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Appreciate you clicking on to be a subscriber. Make sure you continue to do that. Appreciate you going out and getting my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. You keep the love coming. I'm going to keep on coming. Until next time, everybody, peace and love. This is Stephen A. Smith signing off. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.